Welcome to the Inside Job Boards and Recruitment Marketplaces podcast. I'm Stephen Rothberg, the founder of College Recruiter Job Search Site. At College Recruiter, we believe that every student and recent grad deserves a great career. And I'm Peter Zolman, founding principal of the AIM Group, the leading global business intelligence service for marketplaces and classified advertising companies. We consult with recruitment marketplaces companies and publish AIM Group recruitment intelligence and a free weekly digest. We also host the annual Global RecBuzz Conference. This is the podcast for you to learn more about how to create, manage, and work with general, niche, and aggregator job boards and recruitment marketplaces. Hey, Peter, it is great to be with you today. And not just because today is any other day, but I I hear that there's kind of like a bit of a birthday party going on. Something about the Recruitment Intelligence Report is uh, celebrating its first birthday. We've been publishing it now for a little more than a year. And I'm very pleased to note that you were our first paying client and you remain a paying client, but we've been publishing it for more than a year now, which means we've put out about 50, 55 major articles and put out the digest every week with the who's doing what and who's doing things with funding and financial results and so forth and so on. Who's sleeping with whom, who's merging, who's (laughs) buying, who's selling, you know, those kinds of things. The stuff that people really find interesting, shockingly. So we've been doing it for about a year now. And Happily, the number of clients, uh, subscribers continues to grow and um, we get a lot of good feedback. Yeah, I've definitely been definitely been a happy subscriber. Uh, What what I like the most about the vast majority of articles is that it goes well beyond the press release. And most of what I see online about what this recruitment marketplace is doing or what that job board is doing or what some VC is investing in. It's just, it's sort of like that high level, like just comes from a press release. Um, but as long as you guys continue to publish the, why is this happening? What are the ramifications of this happening? Um, then you can deposit my check every month. Well, sounds good. It's a credit card payment, but we won't <laughs> talk about dinosaurs who think they're paying by check. Um, but yeah, it's remarkable to me. We've got a team of people all around the world and I joke, but I'm serious that only 30 to 40% of what we put in there is going to be of interest to any particular individual because some of it is, you know, Serbia or South Africa or Australia or whatever. But often those are the things that are happening that you didn't learn about from the news releases. And if you're not trying to be super parochial, you can find something that you can put to use in some way. Not every week, not every issue, but enough that apparently people keep it. We've had very, very, very low drop-off rate and the number keeps climbing, which is always a good thing. Let's get to our guest because this was not intended to be a commercial. (laughs) This episode brought to you today by, no. So today's guest um, I'm very excited about is uh, Kristen Schrader. Uh, She is the Director of Partnerships at Parker Dewey. And they, somewhat like the organization that, that I founded, College Recruiter, they're dedicated to making the path from college to career as equitable as possible. And what they do that's really different 
than most job boards, recruitment marketplaces, et cetera, is that they partner with hundreds. I think it's over 500 colleges and nonprofits. They connect students with employers via micro internships. And we are going to dig into what the heck a micro internship is in this, in this conversation. But before we do that, Kristen, let me welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Micro internships. What the heck are those? <laughs> Very fair question. So how we define it is a short-term paid professional opportunity designed for college students or even recent graduates to do real work on behalf of busy professionals. So if I kind of unpack that a little bit, short-term meaning generally 10 to 40 hours. They could be a bit shorter or longer, but that's usually where most of them fall. And they're all paid and they're all professional so that the students are gaining some real-world experience that they can put on their resume. Companies also have some skin in the game because they, too, are working with students to execute a project that uh, they you know, otherwise would have on their long, long, long to-do list. So you have to set one of these up by knowing which project you're going to give to X student and have a project that, that's been sitting on the shelf that you want to turn over to somebody and say, here's the project, here's what our outcome is, now go do it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at your own desk right now, I would imagine if yours looks anything like mine, there's a lot of stuff that is just not going to get done today, whether that be at, I need to update XYZ on some sort of website, I need to write some article, I need to crunch some data, I need to put, pull together this report, a variety of different things that at some point might get done, but it's just not necessarily top of the priority list right now. And I work with micro interns myself regularly and delegate these short-term tasks to students. I mean, they're not dealing with proprietary information or anything confidential, PPI or anything along those lines, but rather are able to usually get you 90, if not 100% of the way there towards finishing that, that project. And I can then delegate my time towards something else. And those are mostly done remotely or those are mostly done in person or, or how? Yeah, good question. So we see that even before COVID, and Parker Dewey's been around for seven years, so we've been certainly predates the, the, the pandemic quite a bit, uh, but well over 90% have always been done remotely. Uh, not only does that make it easier so that organizations can have access to and work with students regardless of where they physically might be located, but it also allows students you know, the same opportunity. And uh, it's also more accessible uh, so that in logistically companies don't have to figure out where is the student going to sit, giving them building access or anything along those lines. Same thing with students. They don't have to worry about transportation issues, et cetera. So it just makes it easier for everybody. Very cool. You know, I, I've, as you probably know, I've interacted a fair amount with, with the founder, um, Jeff, Jeff Moss, um, through the NACE forums, the National Association of Colleges and Employers. Um, they publish a variety of digests and stuff like that. And one of the things, one of the many things that he and I strongly advocate for is for interns to be paid. And um, maybe you can help the listeners to this podcast understand why it's so important for employers to, to pay their interns. Uh, and let me interrupt for one second and just say, a lot of our audience is international in scope mm -hmm. and the 
structures may be different overseas, wherever they may be. At the same time, like you and like your companies, I believe people should get paid for the work they do. Yeah. I mean, not only is it something where you, you know, just the right thing to do. We all work. We all, you know, receive compensation for the the work that we're doing. So just from, you know, it's it's the right business sense to to do that. Uh, but you know, students they have bills to pay, expenses. They're paying college tuition, etc. And so it certainly makes it so that the opportunity is is accessible to them. Um, but even more than that, and, and I know Stephen, our, our joint organizations, our missions are to try to create more equitable access to, to opportunities. And so there are so many different models and recruitment strategies that are out there where students are being asked to do lots of different things and not be paid for it, whether it be an extensive interview process, whether it be to do various project simulations, et cetera, that take hours to, to complete in order to get shortlisted for opportunities. You know, these are things that, while they might be great experiences, might be great ways to connect companies and students, they're not available and accessible to students who can't afford to do unpaid work. Um, and so that's why from the get-go, all opportunities that, that we define as micro-internships must be paid and paid fairly. And that is our number one vetting criteria when we're looking at opportunities on the platform. So you find that when an employer pays their interns and pays them fairly, whatever that might be for a particular kind of work, that that sounds like that leads to a better quality um, intern. Absolutely. The work is better. And then ultimately... I would think the goal of that micro internship, like it is with most internships, is to then convert that person from essentially a temporary to a permanent employee. And so you're going to end up yeah, with a better quality hire. Exactly. And, you know, it's an interesting point about the goal of the micro internship because we find that the goals are, are quite varied, as varied as the types of projects themselves. Because we see these more uh, organizations using them as more of a top of funnel recruiting strategy. So that they're identifying way students who might be a good fit for some of their longer term commitments. We had an early micro intern equate the concept to dating, where he said, you know, if a micro internship, you can do lots and lots of different projects all throughout your college career so that you can make a more informed decision when it comes to those longer term opportunities and have to then make a commitment to internships or full-time roles, which the student equated it to like you know, getting engaged as the internship or getting married as that full-time role. Just the opportunity cost of making a bad decision becomes a lot higher the longer the opportunity is. And so students are doing micro internships as early, early as their freshman year, even until after they've graduated. And so it just gives them more data to be able to make that more informed decision of what's the right fit for them. We'll be back right after this break. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. Welcome back to the Inside Job Boards and Recruitment Marketplaces Podcast. So when I saw... Parker Dewey, for some reason or other, I thought it sounds a lot like Dunder Mifflin, 
Um, <laughs> just another one of those names. And then you said the uh, founder isn't named Parker or Dewey, which even nope. is confusing me even more. There's got to be a revenue model here somewhere. What is it? Well, let me dig into the, the name just a moment as well. So it comes from Francis Parker and John Dewey. And those of you who, like myself, uh, went to grad school to study higher education, they, you know, probably those names ring a bell as they were the two integral founders towards the, the whole idea of learning by doing. Because um, that's essentially what a micro-internship is and a key differentiator between you know, this and, and other gig work, if you will. I mean, it's essentially what we're talking about here, but putting it into a an educational setting because these students who are pursuing these are also doing it in conjunction with you know, whatever they're studying uh, academically in a, in a post-secondary situation in, in most cases. Uh, and so that's that's why the name. And, uh, you know, the revenue model, it's, it's determined by the organizations who are posting the projects. Uh, our platform from a, a company standpoint, it's, it's, you know, it's a marketplace for these you know, early career professionals and companies to be able to connect through these short-term projects. Uh, and you know, the organization posts the project, 90% of that particular dollar value goes to the students or students that they select. The 10% that Parker Dewey retains covers our costs, most of which is consumed by administering the different opportunities. So when the students are completing the projects, they're not working for the companies that they're doing the projects for, but rather for Parker Dewey. We're handling all the administration, all of the HR, legal, et cetera. We assume that burden, making it a whole lot easier for these organizations uh, to be able to offer these uh, opportunities in the first place. So it sounds like it's kind of a staffing company model at, at, at the end of the day, right? The employers pay you X, you pay a portion of that, um, I think probably the lion's share um, over to the student. Is that? To some extent, with one key differentiator is that we don't want students to be on our platform forever. We don't want them to be micro-interns. So as a way to help facilitate the hiring of the student, which is ultimately our goal, we don't charge any sort of temp to perm conversion or any sort of cost if the company does want to hire the student for internship, full-time role, or anything else. So that's ultimately the, 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 what they'd like. Yeah, the expectation of all involved, the, the, the student, the employer, uh, Parker Dewey, the school, if, if, if there's one involved, in, in is, is that hopefully this particular micro-internship turns into something bigger. And then to, exactly. to start to add fees into that, just it inhibits that. It, it, it creates exactly. a barrier to, to that happening. So um, question for you um, around, we've been talking about students. One of the things that I've seen that's really changed in the world of employment, in the early career section of, or segment of the employment market is that I'm seeing more and more employers being more and more willing to offer internships or positions like them to non-students, people who maybe graduated from high school but didn't go to college, or they did go to college, they didn't complete, or they went into the military for four years or something along those lines. So for those non-students, is there... Um, can can they find micro internships through Parker Dewey, or do you exclusively work with with currently enrolled students? Yeah, it's a good question, and we deliberately use the phrase on our website and elsewhere, career launcher, 
to be a, a kind of a, a big umbrella. So most are going to be affiliated with some sort of higher education institution, whether that be you know, pursuing some sort of degree or have just completed a degree. We don't kick folks off the platform after their X amount of time from graduation or anything like that, because you know, we recognize that it can take folks varying amounts of time to be able to launch their career. Uh, but yeah, we work with you know, nonprofit organizations for and even for-profit organizations that are offering various types of training, uh, co-curricular training, et cetera. Uh, also under our umbrella are uh, organizations like Chambers of Commerce, who are, are very focused on regional economic development and trying to retain talent that is educated nearby, whether that be you know, K-12 or, or beyond, uh, and trying to keep that talent close by, and that's a, a, a nationwide challenge uh, from, from what we see. So uh, various use cases for how you know, these uh, organizations are, are coming and how, how folks are, are wanting to facilitate these, these relationships, but we're seeing that these short-term projects for this early career professional, early career might be somebody who's 40 years old changing careers as well, uh, but somebody who just is looking for that entry-level experience, just basically to answer that question that we've all seen, I'm sure you talk about regularly, is, uh, you know, you have to have for an entry-level job X amount of years of experience. Well, how do you get that? This is one way to, uh, to, to help answer that question. The interesting thing, when I went to India, and I've worked with a few companies and clients there, the word in India for people who are career launchers, career starters, whatever, is freshers because they're fresh out of high school, fresh out of college, fresh out of university. They don't use the term college. So they're freshers. And there are a number of job boards in India for freshers. Um, the first time I saw that word, I went, huh? But it makes sense. So you can say that you're working with freshers. Um, you work with university and college uh, career service offices. Are they going to be around in 10 years? And if so, how, why, um, what do you bring to them? What do they bring to you? Yeah, it's a good question. And usually our relationships are with the university career services, but not always. In some cases, it's driven by an academic department. Sometimes the relationship's driven by uh, some sort of other student affairs department, whether maybe it's like the multicultural center or even alumni affairs, et cetera. Uh, will they be around in 10 years? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And as somebody who's spent over a decade in career services, I, I hope so, because I think there is certainly a lot of value that they're bringing to you know, the, the higher education space, if nothing else, to keep what are you there for and what are you going to do after you graduate on everybody's radar. Um, is it going to change? Absolutely. I mean, in, in the decade that I've been in this space, and Stephen, I know you can certainly attest, there's been radical change. I think COVID in particular is a turning point, uh, specifically for higher education, where nothing is going to ever be the same, I think, um, in higher education pre-COVID versus post. Uh, and so it's you know a changing marketplace where the willingness for companies and students to try to connect via different models is certainly something that, that we're seeing right now. And so schools' receptiveness to short-term project-based work is, is certainly evolving, but, but something that, that we've seen grow extensively over the past uh, you know, three or so years. And you work from home. I work from home. 
Um, Stephen, well, aside from the fact that it's questionable whether he works, but when he does work, <laughs> he works from anywhere. He works from Europe. He works from Germany. He works from his RV in New Mexico or wherever that. I have an RV. Uh, when, wherever, when, when, wherever he has. Am, 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 am I paying insurance and fuel for this RV that I don't know anything about? Ah, <laughs> uh, me. <laughs> but in any case, um, clearly things have changed radically. Do you think this micro internship model will become an increasingly valuable way for people to find new jobs, move into new careers? I think so. I mean, we're already seeing it with the gig economy, where as a way to earn in a living wage, individuals are stacking on top of their full-time job extra gig work. The percentage is over 50% of folks have at least some sort of gig work in addition to a full-time job. And so bringing that into the early career space is certainly where we're seeing more of an evolution and having schools be open to promoting this as a viable way for them to build their resume. That is something we are certainly seeing quite a bit of uh, and seeing that that they're supportive, not that it's going to interfere with what's going on in the classroom, but rather that it's augmenting and bringing it just to life so much more. I mean, that's the whole idea of experiential education. But we're also, I mean, the reason I think this is going to stick around is you look at how credentialing in general is starting to shrink. There's things like badging and certifications and so on. The whole idea of how can you condensely package education. This is a way that you can condensely package a way to prove that you have that education, that you have that skill set in a way that, that just differentiates folks when it comes to their resume. They can show, yep, I've got these credentials. Now I also have that work experience to match. And so they can and are expected to list these micro internships on their resume or CV, as the case may be. Absolutely. And it's just like they would an internship. It's just instead of experience taking several months, in this case, it's probably taking several weeks or maybe even several days. But it's all viable experience, and in this case, relevant experience to what they want to do long term to help them have some more talking points so that they can make that career pivot or they can just have more if they're early enough in their career that they don't have a lot of professional experience to talk about, well, now they can. And so it becomes a way for them to then build upon and gain additional experiences you know, for whatever they want to do, internships full-time or, or whatever. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. The um, if, if I can just sort of add a comment at the end uh, before, we, before we close, one of the things that I love about Parker Dewey is that it it gives everybody a chance. You know, almost all of us in our professional careers and our personal lives have at some point, maybe many times said, you know, if somebody would just give me a chance, I can show them. And it works in both directions, right? It's not just the student or the candidate that needs that opportunity to prove that they can do the work. Sometimes it's also the employer needing to prove that they were a great place to start a career. And by offering a really, really low risk relationship, you know, a date is a lot lower risk than a marriage. A micro internship is a lot lower risk than a a permanent position with, with an employer, as permanent as any position ever is. Then 
both sides have an opportunity in a very low risk manner to, to give each other a chance. Um, for the job boards and recruitment marketplaces that are listening to this podcast or reading the transcript, uh, if they want to learn more about Parker Dewey or about you personally, how should they do that? Certainly happy to connect uh, via our website, uh, parkerdewey.com, and uh, I'm sure that will be in the, the transcripts and show notes. But uh, also always happy to connect via LinkedIn or to, to continue the conversation. Uh, we're, we're pretty easily easy to find uh, online, but uh, you know, just uh, really appreciate this opportunity. I'm a huge advocate Stephen, to your point around just trying to make opportunities more accessible, lower the stakes, just open the playing field a little bit more. That's what we've seen since day one of this concept is that whether it be the, the company has never considered a student from that academic pedigree or the student never would have considered that organization because of you know their industry or geography or, or whatever the case may be, this is a chance for both to realize that, no, the fit is there and to do so in a meaningful way via these real world projects. So uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time and appreciate this opportunity to, to share it with folks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Inside Job Boards and Recruitment Marketplaces is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts, College Recruiter, and The AIM Group. Please subscribe for free on your favorite app. Review it. Five stars are always nice. And recommend it to a couple of people you know who want to learn more about Job Boards and Recruitment Marketplaces. Special thanks to our producer and engineer, Ian Douglas. I'm your host, Peter Zolman of The AIM Group the leading global consultancy in the field of marketplaces and classified advertising. Find out more about our reports on recruitment marketplaces, job boards, and classifieds, including our new recruitment marketplaces annual at aimgroup.com reports. I'm your host, Stephen Rothberg of job search site College Recruiter. Each year, we help more than 12 million candidates find great new jobs. Our customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other employers who hire at scale and advertise their jobs with us. You can reach me at stephen at collegerecruiter.com. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.